1: Go episode 585 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, June 1st, 2023. The first day of a new month, the day of the first game of the 2023 NBA Finals. Happy NBA Finals to you and yours. The Miami Heat at the Denver Nuggets Thursday night at 8 30. Uh, the Nuggets, overwhelming favorites to win this series. I would love to pick the Heat in a contrarian play, but the Nuggets are the better team. Doesn't guarantee that they'll win the series, of course, but they are the better team. How about this? The Nuggets over their 15 games this NBA postseason have scored 119.7 points per 100 possessions per NBA.com. That is the most efficient offense that a team has had through three rounds of an NBA postseason in six years. Not too shabby. Uh, I will take the Nuggets in six. These NBA Finals, though, really are something. I mean, we have the number one seed in the Western Conference, the Nuggets, against the number eight seed in the Eastern Conference, the Heat, which won the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament to to make the NBA playoffs. And the Heat for most of this postseason— Has been without one of the team's top players in Tyler Hero due to injury. This really is something with the Heat is doing. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I on this show have a lot of commanders conversation for you. Uh, we on Wednesday had a commander's OTA practice that was open to the media. Uh, head coach Ron Rivera prior to the practice did a press conference and Ron covered a lot of ground. Uh, Ron expounded on and even vented about his role as head coach for this team. Uh, Ron talked a lot about quarterback Sam Howell, including something new that the team is doing with Sam in practice. And when we might get a decision on whether Sam is in fact the team's QB1. Uh, Ron discussed what the team is doing right now with its top three corners in Emmanuel Forbes, Benjamin St. Juice, and Kendall Fuller. You might be surprised. Uh, Ron talked up three players in particular on the offensive line and more. There's a lot to unpack, a lot to sort through. Unpack and sort through it all, I shall, with you. Uh, Coming up over the course of this show, you will hear every key thing that Ron Rivera said on Wednesday morning. Uh, Some notable stuff from Don Ron on Wednesday morning, uh, that we need to talk about here. Uh, also on the show, I uh, will discuss a wild Nationals win on Wednesday, a 10 6 win at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers in a game in which the Nats, the no home run hitting Nats, blasted five home runs. <laughs> An absolute stunner, a tremendous game for the Nats Bats, and a big win. Uh, despite starting pitcher Patrick Corbin uh, struggling and the Nats' bullpen having another shaky game. Although the man who quite clearly now is the Nats' ace reliever, Hunter Harvey, was great. Uh, and I'll talk Orioles, uh, whereas the Nats on Wednesday won a slugfest. The O's did not a 12-8 loss to the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards to conclude a disappointing 2-4 and four homestand for the O's. Although they did also conclude a 16-12 May uh, that featured a number of games against good teams. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. A tweet from Tom Mirabella, and the tweet is him simply adding me to a story about legendary actor Al Pacino, who is 83, and he and his 29-year-old girlfriend are expecting a child congratulations to Al Pacino. Uh, So do we now have to add the great Al Pacino to our conversation about who is the goat of procreation? Who is the greatest of all time when it comes to procreating the species. I mean, another all-time great actor, Robert De Niro, who now is 79. Uh, We recently learned that he has fathered a seventh child. This is amazing, by the way. De Niro and Pacino are probably my two favorite actors, and here they are just killing it right now. (laughs) Uh, You have the all-purpose entertainer, Nick Cannon, uh, who is an all-purpose procreator. Uh, He has 12 kids with six women And now we have Al Pacino entering the chat. Uh, Now, I don't know whether Pacino competes with De Niro or Cannon in terms of volume, okay? De Niro and Cannon are elite producers in terms of sheer volume. But Pacino in his age 83 season, fathering a child. uh, That is impressive. Uh, As Pacino said in the movie, scent of a woman. Hooah! Yes, Hua is right. Hua is the proper reaction to all of this. Hua. Yeah, fathering a child in your age 83 season is in fact worthy of a Hua. Uh, email from Ben on a potential name change for the team currently known as the Commanders. Rights. Ben? Al, it has been refreshing to hear so much chatter about the Commanders brand, so much so that you now seem to be receiving unsolicited brand pitches. From your very own listeners. In that vein, I'd like to offer not a pitch, but a shift in thinking that hopefully summarizes why the commander's name has fallen so short and what we can do about this. Firstly, of course, you can both improve the -the on-the-field product and pursue a rebrand. Businesses do this type of thing all of the time. How many rebrands did you work through during your tenure as an on-air talent? No doubt during each, you still delivered a superlative product every day, regardless of the rebrand's final result, and the brand does matter regardless of performance. Instead of focusing on what the name should be, my hope is that new leadership focuses on what drives consumers to root for the team. What core beliefs or feelings does this football team inspire, and how can those things be integrated into a brand that excites and inspires? From what I feel and here, tradition is important. Great. We now have one tent post for the new brand, Uh, and regardless of the social and political issues that surrounded Redskins, the name did carry a sense of defiance. It suggested prideful resistance against the status quo, emerging victorious against overwhelming forces and odds. See Raiders, perhaps. That's a second tent post for the brand. Jason Wright outlined his methodology for the rebrand multiple times. He asked consumers to pick from a predefined list and then internally vetted the selections to determine feasibility from a copyright perspective. That works fine from an operational perspective, but that approach ultimately fell flat and the result had no emotional hooks onto which consumers could hold. I never heard that Jason did consumer testing either, which I believe would have identified such flaws. So I would offer this to our fellow fans. Let's think about why we love this team and be prepared with the answers so that when new leadership eventually solicits us, we are ready. In this way, we can help to craft a brand that transcends just a name, one that captures the essence of what it is to root for this great city and team as we return to our rightful place among the NFL elite. Hey, if new leadership needs help with this, then I'm more than happy to throw my hat into the ring. The only question, could I use you for a reference, Al? Keep up the amazing work, Al. It has been a tough 24 years, but having people like you on our side... Has made it bearable well thank you very much for that email Ben interesting thoughts uh, now I'm not sure if using me as a reference would help or hurt you uh, but you know one thing with the whole name thing that I feel confident about is that the Josh Harris group is gonna attack this issue in a smart way rational, database way. This is how Josh Harris has run things. This is how the number two person in the Harris group, Mitchell Rails, has run things. If you caught my conversation with the great Howard Gutman on Monday's show, episode 582, you know that Harris and Rails aren't just going to make some rushed emotional decision on the name. There is going to be a lot of thought That is put into this Uh, Howard Gutman, former United States ambassador to Belgium, a high level attorney, a man who is extremely well connected, a man who is very familiar with all that is going on with the Josh Harris group. Uh, Howard knows multiple people. In the group, you know, there has been so much working against this rebrand to Commanders. Uh, The sloppiness and low energy and low production value official reveal of the name on uh, 2.2.22 certainly stand out. But let's also acknowledge this. The team could have done a great job with the official launch of the Commander's brand. The team could have done a great job on 2.2.22, and a lot of people still would have hated the name for the simple reason that the name was arrived at under the ownership of Dan Snyder, and so many people don't think that the name should have ever changed from Redskins. If the Josh Harris group does change this current name of Commanders, uh, Harris will have two big factors working in his favor that Dan Snyder did not have. A, Josh is not Dan. And so people in general are going to be more accepting of something from Josh than something from Dan. And B, the change from Redskins to a new name with, yes, Washington football team in between uh, was always going to be tough. The change from Commanders to a new new name would not be as tough because of the lack of history with and the lack of attachment to commanders. Those are two big factors right there. To say nothing of the likelihood that Josh Harris almost certainly would launch a new name in a much better way than Dan Snyder launched a new name. Uh, Well, speaking of a better way, there is a better way to get your home and auto insurance, and that way is BMC insurance. The home and auto insurance markets are messes right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance, and that's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com and you'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor For your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. So we, on Wednesday, had the fifth of the Commander's seven OTA practices this offseason. We last week had the first three OTA practices, May 23rd through the 25th. Uh, We, this week, are having the next three OTA practices, Tuesday through Thursday, May 30th through June 1st. And then the final OTA practice will be on Tuesday, June 13th. In between these first six OTA practices and that seventh and final OTA practice will be The mandatory minicamp, which is next week, uh, will take place Tuesday, June 6th through Thursday, June 8th. Attendance at that mandatory minicamp is, yes, mandatory. uh, But attendance at these OTA practices is, wait for it, voluntary. And absent from the commander's OTA practices this week are the three notable absentees from last week. Edge defenders Chase Young and Montez Sweat and left tackle Charles Leno Jr. Now, only one OTA practice last week and one OTA practice this week have been open to the media. Uh, The Wednesday practice each week has been open to the media, but uh, there has been no indication that uh, these three guys have been at these practices that have not been open to the media. Uh, Additionally, some injuries. Uh, Kazmir Allen, the undrafted receiver out of UCLA, he did not practice on Wednesday due to a hamstring issue. Uh, Running back Antonio Gibson did not participate in team drills on Wednesday due to an undisclosed ailment. And linebacker Jamin Davis on Wednesday did some work in individual drills, but not team drills as he is coming off a knee procedure. Uh, Commanders head coach Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning did a pre-practice press conference. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to discuss all that Ron said about the team's quarterback situation, including a lot on quarterback Sam Howell. And then after that, I'm going to get into some interesting stuff from Ron on what the team is thinking and doing with its top three corners right now in Emmanuel Forbes, Benjamin St. Juice, and Kendall Fuller, and Ron on the team's offensive line and top two running backs, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. But right now, I want to discuss some things that Ron said on Wednesday morning regarding the sale of the Commanders, his role with the team, and his pretty apparent frustration with having to have dealt with a bunch of non-football stuff during his time as Washington head coach. So we, of course, are awaiting the finalizing of the sale of the Commanders. Uh, Ron Rivera, in his pre-OTA practice press conference, now two Wednesday mornings ago, May 24th, revealed that the team was not in a position to get contract extensions done Uh, with, say, Montez Sweat or, say, safety Cameron Curl due to the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group having not been finalized. Now, the commanders on Tuesday afternoon did announce four roster moves, so it's not like the team is completely frozen. We did have those four roster moves, including the signings of two unrestricted free agents, safety Terrell Burgess and tight end Brandon Dillon, and so Ron on Wednesday morning was asked if the team right now could at least sign a free agent of consequence if the team wanted to. Here was his answer.
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, we'll have to we'll have to work through some things before we can do any of that stuff. Um, I mean, we're in a good position right now. I don't think we really need to make those type of moves. Uh, if something does come up, you know, I, I will. I will. Honestly, I'll probably reach out to the current owner and, and, and see what, what we're capable of doing still. Um, so far, everything has been going well. We haven't gotten to that point, so we're, we're just going to continue to work as if it's business as usual.
1: Yeah, it is annoying, though, that the team can't pursue contract extensions with Montez Sweat and Camp Curl right now. Like, Even if those extensions would not be getting done right now, you as an organization would like to at least have the option of working on those extensions right now. And that seemingly can't happen or at least is limited in happening. And by the way, Camp Curl on Wednesday, as was the case the previous Wednesday, did not participate in team drills, uh, presumably due to his contract situation. Uh, Cam, in a session with reporters on uh, that previous Wednesday, May 24th, uh, said that he was not dealing with injuries. So him not participating in these team drills would seem to be a function of his contract situation with him entering the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh, this was Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning on if he has talked to Cam Curl about his contract situation.
2: Well, I, I, I haven't talked to anybody about that as far as the players are concerned, as much as it's been, it's been put out there that, you know, everything's kind of in a holding pattern until we get everything done and put into place. Um, I, I do know, you know, that there is a plan. We've had a plan. We, we went through what the plan was in, in February, March, April. Uh, we've adjusted it because we've got Duran taken care of. And so now, you know, we have a plan to, to focus on on the next few guys that we feel we, we've got to be able to go after. Um, but once the ownership change happens, uh, we'll be able to sit down with the powers that be and, and explain to them what we see, and and hopefully they'll agree with it, um, and we'll be able to go for it.
1: The question is, when will the ownership change actually officially happen? It is going to happen, but the when is the question. And it is odd that the timeline for formal approval of the Josh Harris Group's purchase of the commanders seems to be July or August. I mean, the formal announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris announcing the purchase and sale agreement between the Snyders and the Harris Group is on May 12th. Uh, Even with these financial structure changes to the deal. That seemingly need to take place. Why is it that these NFL owners aren't going to vote on the sale until July or even August? We're now just beginning June. (laughs) I mean, why does the vote have to wait until July or even August? Uh, Anyway, also from Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning was a bit of venting. Uh, as we all know, well, Ron officially is just the commander's head coach, he also oversees the team's player personnel. He is a head coach in a coach-centric approach. As we also know, Ron, during his now three and a half years as Washington head coach, has had to deal with a lot more than just football. Uh, this was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on his role right now as a head coach.
2: Well, a big part of what I'm doing more so than anything else is I'm just kind of observing more so um, the different groups out there now, um, talking with the younger coaches, talking with some of the younger players, you know, and seeing how they're developing and growing. I mean, it, it, I'm like you're saying, I'm, I mean, I feel more like a manager at times than I do anything else. It, it's about making sure that, you know, I'm delegating the authority to these guys and, and, and letting them do their responsibilities. Um, with a very veteran coach like Jack, Um, I've been able to rely on on, on him and and his staff to go forward, um, spend a little more time bouncing in between the different groups.
1: So Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning, quote, I feel more like a manager at times than I do anything else, end quote. Now. Ron has been known as a delegator, and the circumstance right now with his top two assistant coaches is such to where they have a lot of responsibility. Uh, Jack Del Rio is entering his fourth season as Washington defensive coordinator. He has twice been an NFL head coach, and he, during the 2020 season, essentially was Washington's acting head coach. Well, Ron was dealing with cancer, uh, Eric Bienemi. He is the team's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. And as Ron has explained, uh, Eric is having a lot of say in how the commanders are doing things this offseason. So Ron Rivera being more of a manager isn't shocking. But as this press conference on Wednesday morning went on, Ron seemed to delve into talking about having had to deal with a whole lot of non-football stuff during his time as Washington head coach, especially with this ongoing sale. Take a listen to this. Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on what he thinks about being more of a manager. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post.
2: Um, it's frustrating because, you know, some some of the things I have to manage and work around, I, I kind of step back and, and have to deal with things that, that aren't necessarily football related. Um, and And it does take from the time. Uh, take away from the time, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of one of the things that, that I'm looking forward to is, you know, getting into a situation now where it's more focusing on managing what's going on with the team specifically. Meetings, practice, on the field, uh, in the facility, and, and, and hopefully be able to stay just there. Is this the most you've delegated in your career, and, and yes. what sort of adjustment has that taken for you personally? Well, just getting used to looking at personnel reports, <laughs> you know, um and, and that's, you know, that's that's one of thing's a little bit more different.
1: <laughs> OK, I'm not sure what Ron Rivera was talking about with the personnel reports, but Ron got asked about being more of a manager and then went right to saying, quote, it's frustrating because some of the things I have to manage and work around, I kind of step back and have to deal with things that aren't necessarily football related it does take away from the time. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm looking forward to is getting into a situation now where it's more focusing on managing what's going on with the team specifically, meetings, practice on the field, in the facility, and hopefully be able to stay just there. And quote, Ron wasn't really asked about this, but he certainly seemed to want to vent about this. Uh, That stood out to me. I mean, look, criticism of the job that Ron Rivera has done as Washington head coach is totally fair. He over three seasons as the team's head coach has yet to have a winning regular season. The team has faltered down the stretch of each of the last two regular seasons. Washington in weeks 14 through 17 of each of the last two seasons is a combined 0 and 7. But it also is true that Ron, since being named the team's head coach on New Year's Day 2020, has had to deal with so much non-football stuff in the way of the sale of the team and controversy and scandal and investigations and cancer. And look, Ron has been paid tens of billions of dollars. I'm certainly not saying that you need to be shedding any tears for Ron Rivera. But boy, I don't know that any head coaching tenure in NFL history has been filled with as much non-football stuff as Ron's tenure with Washington has been filled with non-football stuff. And (laughs) he pretty clearly is done with having to deal with that non-football stuff. do not forget to give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, so please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. So as we are now well into the second week of Commander's OTA practices this offseason, it is worth keeping in mind that these OTA practices, in theory, mark the start of the quarterback competition of Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett, a competition that head coach Ron Rivera has promoted. Uh, Now, how legitimate the quarterback competition is can be debated. Personally, I look at it like this. The commander's starting quarterback job is Sam Howell's to lose. He, for months now, has been positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Ron Rivera has said that he's giving Sam the first crack at the starting quarterback job. Uh, Sam has more upside than Jacoby Brissett has, and so the starting quarterback job is Sam's to lose. Uh, Sam should be the team's starting quarterback to begin the 2023 regular season if he outperforms Jacoby in offseason practices, training camp, and the preseason, or if the performances of Sam and Jacoby over offseason practices, training camp, and the preseason are close. The only way that Sam Howell should not be the team's starting quarterback to begin the upcoming regular season is if he is really bad in offseason practices, training camp, and the preseason, or if he's injured. Uh, Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning did a pre-practice press conference. This was Ron on the differences that he's seeing in Sam Howell now versus at the end of his 2022 rookie season. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, I'm mic'd up when I'm saying the play calls and at the line of scrimmage, so it's been fun. I mean, it's a good opportunity for me to learn and and hear what I sound like because um, it's something I've really never heard before. Um, but yeah, it is. When, when they first said they were going to do it, I, I was kind of shocked because I've never heard of uh, somebody doing it. But I think it's a great idea, and it's definitely been it's been fun to hear their feedback and stuff like that. What
2: have, you, have, you, like? have you changed anything after listening to yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, i, I just trying to we. we Coach EB says it all the time to over communicate clarity. Um, and so just trying to over communicate at the line of scrimmage with the O line and stuff like that. And just if I need saying one more word, one more code word that means something that they need to hear. Um, so just to try to make sure we're all on the same page. So there were mixed reviews of Sam Howell's performance in practice on Wednesday. I am not going to spend much time evaluating an OTA practice. No pads, no tackling. Uh, The key for Sam right now is to be getting better and more comfortable with the offense. The jump that Sam Howell is trying to make here is unique when you think about it. I mean, he's attempting to go from a fifth-round rookie who was the team's QB3 and was in what was labeled a developmental season to now potentially being the team's QB1. For the following season. Uh, this was Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning on this jump that Sam is trying to make.
2: Well, I think more so than anything else is, is, is he is what he is and I think he's a very consistent quarterback and he's a good decision maker and I think he throws a good ball. I think it's really just about you know, understanding what is expected. And that'll be stuff that we will talk to Sam about it. You know, more so than anything else, you look at a guy and you say, what do you need from that position? Well, from my perspective, you need a position where a guy, first and foremost, can manage a game and understand how the tempo of the game is going um, and realize, recognize when he has to make a play to, to help us uh, win a football game or when he can take control of a game and slow the tempo down or speed the tempo. I mean, those are things that, you know, you, you hope, quarterbacks get and and I think he does have that I really do I I think he understands that um I I think the big part for him more so anything else is just going to continue to be getting reps and reps and reps as much work as we can get him and Jacoby in this system I think the better off we will be as an offensive unit
1: yeah and we heard Ron Rivera toward the end of that answer make it a point to mention Jacoby Brissett again the quarterback competition to whatever extent it truly exists. Some of what Ron in that cut that I just played for you said reminded me of something that I really like when it comes to thinking about quarterbacks. NFL draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network and NFL.com has this trucks versus trailers analogy. Uh, Quarterbacks who are trucks can carry teams, while quarterbacks who are trailers are highly dependent on everything around those quarterbacks. Are you a truck or are you a trailer? Uh, We need to first find out if Sam Howell can at least be a trailer, but is it possible that he could be a truck? Is it possible? Is it plausible? Is it conceivable that Sam Howell could be a carry a team type quarterback or at least a major playmaking quarterback? Uh, For what it's worth, receiver Terry McLaurin, in an in-house interview with Julie Donaldson that you can find on the team's official website, commanders.com, said the following about Sam Howell, quote, he's taken the bull by the horns and he's really led us a lot this offseason, end quote. Uh, We know that quarterback leadership matters a lot to Ron Rivera. As you probably remember, uh, Ron in the 2020 offseason talked about quarterback leadership repeatedly and talking about Dwayne Haskins. Here was Ron on Wednesday morning on where Sam Howell is at as a leader.
2: You know, again, you saw it in the Dallas game, you know, coming to the sideline, communicating with the guys around him. Uh, and You see the same thing, in, in, even though it's practice, you know, communicating with, with the guys on, you know, around him. Um, you see the extra things that, 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 you know, he's supposed to do in terms of setting the example. All the quarterbacks do that. They do the little things, the little details. They do them really well. Um, you see him taking responsibility for something that happens out there, So something, you know, goes, goes awry. You know, he steps up right away and tries to get it corrected, and if it's his fault, he'll let everybody know. Um, you see him go over and talk to guys, so you know there's, there's a communication element that's important, that, you know, that they're all on the same page.
1: Now, while we're talking leadership and attitude and intangibles, uh, Jacoby Brissett certainly does not seem to be lacking in any of those things. People rave about Jacoby Brissett as a person, and as I've talked about on this podcast, uh, Jacoby is coming off an impressive season. Uh, Jacoby Brissett in the 2022 regular season made 11 starts for the Cleveland Browns. So he was their starting quarterback during quarterback Deshaun Watson's 11 game suspension. And Jacoby Brissett did quite well over those 11 games. He, for the 2022 regular season, finished number eight among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR, finished number seven among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in Football Outsiders' DVOA metric and had an overall grade for pro football focus of 82.6. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. He's not some great quarterback, but he is a capable quarterback. And as backup quarterbacks go, he's one of the best in the NFL. The commanders in March signing Jacoby Brissett as an unrestricted free agent to a one-year $8 million contract was a potential steal. Now, big picture, what may well be best for our football team— Uh, would be to sink or swim with Sam Howell. And if the team swims with Sam, great. But if the team sinks with Sam, then just bottom out with Sam in order to get a top five pick in the 2024 NFL draft, as opposed to having Jacoby Brissett take over and uh, maybe lead the team to a few wins that don't get the team into the playoffs, but do harm the team's draft position. The middle is a road to nowhere. Uh, Anyway, this was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on Jacoby Brissett.
2: Well, one thing you notice really is just his 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 ball placement. I mean, he always seems to put the ball in a good position for the receiver. You know, he understands leverages, so he's throwing away from where the defenders are. Um, and you also see him, again, working with the younger guys, you know, talking to them, and not just the quarterbacks, but the positional guys, talking to the young receivers about, you know, how to run around, how to turn and come back to the ball, stuff like that. I mean, that that that's something that a veteran guy does. And like I said, he's 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 doing a really nice job. I love the way he handles it.
1: The quarterback instability for Washington is well-documented. The team has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last five regular seasons. 2018, Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. 2019, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Dwayne Haskins. 2020, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and then Taylor Heineke in the playoffs Uh, 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke and Garrett Gilbert 2022, Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke and Sam Howell. Washington (laughs) has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last five regular seasons. That is amazing when you think about it. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how much more stable Washington is now at quarterback as compared to Ron's first three seasons as Washington head coach.
2: Well, I feel it's pretty stable. I mean, you know, we, 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 we like the guys that we have. Um, we got four guys, young guys. Uh, three of them are really young. And then you've got a guy like Jacob, who's, who's, who's a veteran, who's had some success, who can help, you know, help us with the development of, of all those guys. And we'll see, but you know it's one of those things and 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 this is a quarterback driven league and that's that that is what the difference is is that um, teams that are having a, a you know consistent success right now are guys that have consistent quarterbacks and that's what we've been trying to do we've been trying to find that quarterback situation. Um, the guy that could step in and, and, and really take charge and and hopefully be around for you know seven eight nine years I mean I was very fortunate in one you know my previous stop that you know, we had a guy healthy and 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 playing well for seven seasons and and it, and it shows. And if, if you can get a guy that can stay healthy and, and be productive and, and understand what the role is and what the expectations are, you know, to, to the earlier question, uh, I, I think you can be successful. You really can. And so we, we are, yeah, I'm, I'm putting a lot on, you know, that position here right now, but I, I really feel confident and comfortable in the guys we have.
1: Well, it may be that Ron Rivera really, truly feels that way. But of course, he has to say what he just said. Regardless, Uh, nobody knows what to expect from Sam Howell. You can have hope. I certainly do. Uh, You can have optimism. I certainly do. But bottom line, there is zero certainty here. Uh, As for Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on when he feels that he'll make a determination on whether Sam is the team's QB1.
2: Well, as we get into training camp, I mean, you know, w- w- what I'm really looking forward to is, is, you know, playing the games. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the, 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 the Baltimore week because there's going to be a lot of work done that, that week for us. Obviously, going up there and being able to practice against Coach Harbaugh and his team, I think it'd be a really good thing because there's a team that's been a, um, uh, a stalwart of, of, of consistency, you know. And, and again, it's been built around their quarterback He's done a great job for him. You know, they got him re-signed and and re-upped and ready to roll. And, you know, they're going to change some things up there as well. But it's going to be a good example for us to look at as a football team. So I'm excited about that week.
1: Interesting that Ron Rivera highlighted that week with the Baltimore Ravens as a potential point at which a determination on the Commander's QB1 would be made. The Commanders this August will participate in joint practices with the Ravens. So the practices will take place on August 15th and 16th at the Ravens Under Armour Performance Center in Owings Mills, Maryland. And then a few days later, August 21st, the two teams will play a preseason game at FedEx Field. Uh, And then one more from Ron Rivera on the Commanders quarterback situation. Uh, What about the team's new quarterbacks coach? Uh, The Commanders on February 28th announced the hiring of Tavita Pritchard, as quarterbacks coach. Uh, Tavita Pritchard was with Stanford from 2006 through 2022 as first a player and then a coach. Uh, He was a quarterback for Stanford 2006 through 2009, then was a coach for Stanford 2010 through 2022, including being Stanford's offensive coordinator from 2018 through 2022. Rod Rivera, a product of Cal, uh, on Wednesday morning on Tavita Pritchard.
2: It's been interesting watching Tavita, and not just working with Sam, but working with all the quarterbacks. Um, you know, when when I first got the the list, you know, Eric's list of guys, um, I, I knew who Tavita was. I didn't know him, so I called around, talked to some people, and it's, and what was amazing is, you know, he's he's always been at Stanford, okay, which I struggle with, but I'm okay. <laughs> um, but. I talked to people about him, you know, and, and you know, Coach Shaw was tremendous about him, and then some of the other people I talked to was like, "Oh yeah, to be the great." I'm thinking, "How do you guys know him?" He said, well, "He's only been at Stanford." So, yeah, but you know, you go in, you sit down, you talk with him, you listen to him, you, you know, watch tape with him, and you listen to him there, because that's how Eric got to know him. But you know, when he was in college ranks and he was recruiting and all that stuff, and then he got into the NFL, and then you know, he started going and go to Stanford, he'd sit down, and he'd talk with people, and you know, and that was thing that was also impressive about Eric. Eric had an extensive list of guys that he knew people that he had on his list of of names and they're all good names but just kind of Doing a little background on Tavita, who was impressive. Um, and then watching him and listening to him, you know, and every now and then when I do sit in, 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 in on their uh, their staff meetings and listening to the way Eric handles it, but the way he talks to Tavita, the way he talks to the other coaches and their responses, you know, you 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 see, you see exactly what Eric saw in him. You know, um, Bobby Ingram's been tremendous. He really has. You know, he got an opportunity last year as a coordinator. Unfortunately, things you know went a little different in, in Wisconsin and. Once they got it going, you, know, you, you, you could see the development growth. So now, watching Bobby with the, with the receivers and listening to him and Eric and some of the other coaches talk, you, you see that there's some young guys that have really uh, got some good insight in, in as far as football is concerned.
1: Yeah, so you heard Ron Rivera make mention of Bobby Ingram. Uh, he liked to be to Pritchard, a new position coach for the Commanders. The Commanders on March 9th announced the hiring of Bobby Ingram. As receivers coach, uh, that would be the same Bobby Ingram, who is a former NFL receiver, uh, had a lengthy playing career, was a star receiver at Penn State, uh, was taken by the Chicago Bears in the second round of the 1996 NFL draft. And he ended up playing in the NFL from 1996 through 2009, played for the Bears, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Ingram spent the 2022 season as Wisconsin's offensive coordinator, And quarterbacks coach. His most prominent roles as an NFL coach have been with the Ravens. Uh, Ingram was the Ravens receivers coach 2014 through 2018 and was the Ravens tight ends coach 2019 through 2021. Now, Ravens receivers from 2014 through 2018 didn't exactly kill it, although there were some good individual seasons in there. Steve Smith Sr. had a good 2014 season for the Ravens, Mike Wallace had a good 2016 season for the Ravens, but Ravens tight ends during Bobby Ingram's time as Ravens tight ends coach did some really good things. Uh, The 2019 Ravens got significant production from three tight ends, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Nick Boyle.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, more now from Commanders Head Coach Rod Rivera's pre-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning. So we on Wednesday's show, episode 584, had part two of my two-part conversation with Commanders Analyst Mark Bullock, uh, one of the best people out there when it comes to talking Commanders from an X's and O's perspective. And Mark, toward the end of our conversation, talked about the potential roles for corners Emmanuel Forbes, Benjamin St. Juice, and Kendall Fuller this coming season. Uh, And Mark actually thinks that St. Juice could be the odd man out. Uh, Not that he won't play at all, but that he could end up playing less than Forbes and Fuller. Well, coincidence or not, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning got asked about what he's thinking with the roles for Emmanuel Forbes, Benjamin St. Juice and Kendall Fuller this coming season. Here was Ron's answer.
2: It's been interesting to watch it um, because for the most part, you know, we've moved those three guys around. Um, you know, we've played Benjamin inside. Uh, we've played Forbes inside. The one guy we haven't put inside has been Kendall, uh, and we really think that, that, that Kendall's a guy that uh, plays with great vision. And, and again, you saw what he's capable of last year with the way he played, especially with um, you know the the some of the things that that Jack and the staff did. Uh, adding a, a a match zone match type coverage that we used and and they've adapted to it very well they're going to be into the second full year with it, um, which I think will be even more uh, uh, which would be even better for us so th- it's going to be interesting to watch those three guys as they continue to grow together and, and it's it's been it's been a lot of fun um, and you do see those guys you know all making plays right now.
1: So interesting, Ron Rivera says that the team has played both Emmanuel Forbes and Benjamin St. Juice on the outside and inside, but has only had Kendall Fuller work on the outside. Uh, I bet that that surprises some people, especially because we first came to know Kendall Fuller as a nickel corner. Uh, He, in his first go-round with Washington, the 2016 and 2017 seasons played a lot in the slot, Uh, and Fuller for the 2017 season was one of the best slot corners in the NFL. But Fuller now is older, and he, at this point in his career, uh, is better on the outside as opposed to the inside. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on if not having had Fuller play the slot so far means that he'll be playing as an outside corner this coming season.
2: Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, I, I do know one thing and talking to Jack when we talked about uh, Emmanuel, and that was, you know, one of the toughest positions to play on, on defense is the slot, you know, is the nickel. And putting him inside, you know, it kind of puts his progression of learning a little, you know, kind of speeds it up a little bit because you've got to be aware of what's happening around you on both sides as opposed to just being outside where you're only really worried about the inside guys. Um, and so, Jack wanted to do that, and I thought it was a great idea. So you know they're doing it, throwing him inside on occasion. You know we we have a, a plethora of guys because Quan plays that. You know he's a guy that can play not just the safety position, but come down play the nickel and he can play the corner. And so we've thrown Quan inside and we've thrown him outside a little bit just to see him and watch him, and he's handled that very well. So you know we've got some we've got some options there, but you know knowing that, and the one thing that we want to try to do is be able to always have Kendall in a certain situation as far as matchups concerned, or on the outside.
1: It's hard to tell whether the commanders are working Emmanuel Forbes, Summit, Nickel solely for the purpose of him learning uh, or because the team actually, truly might play Forbes in the slot. But note this, Emmanuel Forbes at Mississippi State was almost exclusively an outside corner. Uh, Forbes, over three seasons at Mississippi State, 2020 through 2022, per pro football focus, totaled a mere 22 defensive snaps as a slot corner versus 1,962 defensive snaps as an outside corner. Uh, Quite a difference. Uh, Doesn't mean that Forbes can't play the slot, but does mean that he has not played the slot much. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how Emmanuel Forbes has looked in the slot.
2: He look pretty good he really has he's very quick that's one of the things that he is he's really really quick um and you know when you you get those little those those little water bug routes where the guys are trying to run options off of you inside or out he seems to handle those very well.
1: Yeah, my bet is on the guy who the Commanders took in the second round of the 2023 NFL draft, Illinois defensive back Quan Martin being the team's primary nickel this coming season. But who knows? Maybe we will see more of the guy who the Commanders took in the first round of the 2023 draft, Emmanuel Forbes, uh, at nickel than we thought. We on Tuesday show, episode 583, had part one of my conversation with Mark Bullock, and we in that portion of the chat uh, conducted a deep dive on the commander's revamped offensive line. Has the team done enough to fix an offensive line that, of course, was woeful last season? Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on his outlook for the offensive line.
2: I, I think most of anything else is we've got a group of young guys that as they develop and, 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 and come through, I think they're going to they're, they're be very good. I really do. I think we've got some guys that are going to come into their own. I think Sam Cosme is a young man that's got an opportunity to really grow and show us what he's worth. Uh, I think Sadiq Charles has that ability as well, as does Chris Paul. I mean, those are three young guys that you know we are counting on to take another step, and, and I think they can. Um, I'm very confident in what I've seen so far. And you know, the truth of the matter, though, is we're, we're not in pads. You know, so right now we're just seeing skill sets more than we are, in terms of the of, of the physical ability of, of of the position.
1: So Samuel Cosme, who for now projects to be the commander starting right guard, and Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul, who for now are competing for the starting left guard spot. Uh, three Washington draft picks right there. Right, Cosme, a twenty twenty one second round pick. Charles, a twenty twenty fourth round pick, and Paul, a twenty twenty two seventh round pick. And then, what about the running backs for whom? The offensive line will be blocking Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on how Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson Jr. are looking.
2: I so think far. those guys have, have looked really well. I, I really do. I think one of the things that's been really good is, you know, with, with with Antonio, you see AG get the opportunity to go out and catch the ball a little bit more. You see his, his athleticism, um, you know, because, again, that's what he came in as, as a, a receiver out of Memphis and 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 he's really shown that that his 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 pass catching ability is there and then once he's got the ball in his hands especially in space he's a load um and you know matching him up one on one with a with a corner or a nickel out there uh could be pretty good as far as you know being able to to you know Take the hit, bounce off, and just keep running. B Rob has done a really nice job. He's, he's, you can see his explosiveness. <clears throat> One of the comments on, in, in talking with, with 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 Marty and some of the scouts as we've been watching practice is you you, you talk you know you listen to them talk about B Rob and the explosiveness seems to be there immediately. Where last year you know after the situation he had it, you know he kind of worked his way back. He he looks really good right now. He really does.
1: So, Rod Rivera talking up Antonio Gibson as being more of a pass catcher this coming season. I feel like we have this conversation every offseason now. Uh, We have been waiting on Gibson to be more of a factor in the passing game. Has not happened over his first three NFL seasons for whatever reasons. Uh, Perhaps this will happen this coming season. uh, What is a contract season? uh, The fourth and final season of his rookie contract. And yeah, you know, Brian Robinson Jr. last season, mixed results, but... It is important to remember that the guy was coming off having been shot. Uh, Robinson, last August 28th, shot multiple times in an incident that happened in Washington, D.C. He got shot in a leg and hip. I mean, you think about that, right? Uh, It'll be nice to see what Brian Robinson Jr. can do in a season in which he is not coming off, you know, having been shot. Hey, who says that the Nationals do not hit for power? Uh, The Nats on Wednesday put forth a tremendous display of power against the powerhouse in the National League, a 10-6 win at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers to avoid a three-game sweep. The Nats in this game, 10 runs, 12 hits, 3 walks, 4 for 14, With runners in scoring position, eight of the Nats' 12 hits were extra base hits, including (laughs) a staggering, a whopping five home runs. Uh, And I say staggering and I say whopping because if you have been following the Nats this season or just listening to this podcast, uh, you know that the 2023 Nats do not hit home runs. Uh, The Nats for this 2023 regular season even now have just 44 home runs. But the Nats on Wednesday smashed five home runs. So think about this. Five of the team's 44 home runs came in this game on Wednesday. 11.4% of all of the Nats homers in this regular season happened on Wednesday. How about that from the boys?
2: I'm proud of the boys.
1: Yes, proud of the boys, Nats manager Davey Martinez. His Nats now are 24 and 32. The Nats' five home runs on Wednesday came from four players. K-Bert Ruiz, the former Dodger, he hit two homers. Uh, he is the Nats' starting catcher and number 7 batter. Got on base four times. He went three for four with a two-run homer, a solo homer, a single and a hit by pitch. A Ruiz in an ads two-run second, a two-out solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. And Ruiz in an ads two-run ninth, a two-out, two-run homer to center field for a 10-6 Nats lead. The Homer went a projected 401 feet per stat cast. Uh, what a game by K Ruiz. You know, he had been struggling as a batter in terms of results, although he has been hitting balls hard, and now the results are starting to match the process. Cade Ruiz now has three home runs over his last two games. So Ruiz in the Nats' 9-3 loss at the Dodgers late night on Tuesday night, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. So Cade Ruiz on Wednesday hit two home runs, but the biggest homer of the game for the Nats came from Luis Garcia. Garcia on Wednesday as the Nats' starting second baseman and number two batter, two for five with a three-run homer and a double. Uh, He did commit a fielding error in a Dodgers one-run third, but Garcia in the Nats three-run eighth, a tie-breaking two-out three-run homer to right field on an 0-2 pitch for an 8-5 Nats lead. Uh, Also Garcia in the top of the seventh had a first-pitch leadoff double off the right field warning track. Uh, Luis Garcia had not done much since his big game this past Friday night, a 12-10 win at the Kansas City Royals. Garcia in that game, 6-for-6 with a two-run double, another double, and four singles. But Garcia on Wednesday, very good. Uh, Jamer Candelario on Wednesday, very good. He is the Nats' starting third baseman and number 5 batter, got on base four times. He went two-for-three with a two-run homer, an RBI single, two walks, and a stolen base. Uh, Candelario in the Nats two-run fifth a two-out two-run homer to center field for a 5-4 Nats lead Uh, that homer went a projected 405 feet per stat cast also Candelario in the Nats one-run third a two-out full count RBI single to right field to tie the game at three Uh, Jamer Candelario has surpassed Lane Thomas for number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS for this regular season Uh, Candelario is at 797 Thomas is at 7.96. It is telling that uh, no qualified Nat has an OPS above 800, uh, but still, Jamer Candelario, number one for now. Uh, And then the Nats' other home run on Wednesday came from C.J. Abrams. Uh, He is the Nats' starting shortstop and number eight batter. Went just one for five, but the one was a solo homer. Uh, Abrams in the Nats' two-run second, two-out solo homer to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2. Five home runs by the Nats in this 10-6 win at the Mighty Dodgers on Wednesday. Uh, Props to Joey Manessis, too. He did not homer, but he is the Nats' starting DH and number three batter, went three for five with a double and two singles. Uh, The lone bummer for the Nats from an offensive perspective was Lane Thomas. Uh, He has the Nats starting right fielder and number one batter 0 for 5 with a strikeout, ending both his 26-game on base streak and 15-game hitting streak. But still, excellent game for the Nats hitting, and they needed that offense because the Nats pitching for a third time in three games in this series left a lot to be desired. Uh, Patrick Corbin, was the Nat starting pitcher on Wednesday. He allowed four runs, three earned, and five innings. Uh, he gave up seven hits, two homers, a double, and four singles. He issued four walks. He recorded just two strikeouts. Uh, he threw 88 pitches, 50 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Corbin put a lot of guys on base. He got off to a horrendous start. Corbin, in the bottom of the first, allowed three runs in beginning his outing by giving up three consecutive hits in allowing five of the first six Dodgers batters to reach base. Uh, Corbin gave up a leadoff homer by Mookie Betts to left field, gave up a first pitch opposite field single by Freddie Freeman to left field, and gave up a two-run homer by Will Smith to right center field for a 3-0 Dodgers lead. Uh, Corbin in the bottom of the third allowed an unearned run on a fielding error by second baseman Luis Garcia on a leadoff grounder by Freddie Freeman, a single and two walks, including a bases-loaded four-pitch walk of Max Muncie for a 4-3 Dodgers lead. Uh, Corbin had a stretch in which six of seven starts were quality starts, a uh, quality start being defined as no more than three earned runs allowed and no fewer than six innings pitched. But Corbin now, over his last two starts, has allowed 10 runs, nine earned in 11 and a third innings, and he has issued four walks in each of his last two starts. Uh, Corbin had been doing a good job of avoiding the walk, uh, but not so over these last two starts. Uh, Also, the Nats' bullpen on Wednesday, another rocky game. Now, Hunter Harvey was great, so he deserves a lot of praise. But ultimately, in this game, three Nats' relievers combined to allow two runs in four innings. And the three relievers were the Nats' top three relievers, Uh, in theory, all of whom were well-rested. So you should have gotten better than what you ended up getting. Uh, now, Carl Edwards Jr. did toss a scoreless bottom of the six, but he gave up a leadoff double and issued a two-out intentional walk and then issued a two-out unintentional walk to load the bases, although Edwards did then get a big strikeout. He struck out J.D. Martinez swinging on four pitches. Uh, Kyle Finnegan, though, had big-time problems. Uh, he allowed two runs in one official inning of work. He, in the bottom of the seventh, allowed a run uh, on a wet-out full-count walk of uh, the University of Virginia product, Chris Taylor, uh, with ball four being a pitch clock violation by Finnegan. That just cannot happen, and yet that did happen. Uh, And then Finnegan gave up a two-out RBI single by Miguel Rojas to center field to tie the game at five, despite Rojas having been down to the count at 1.12. And Finnegan, in the bottom of the eighth, off the Nats having just taken an 8-5 lead, gave up a homer. Gave up a first-pitch leadoff homer, in fact, Uh, A first-pitch leadoff homer by Mookie Betts on a bomb to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 8-6. The homer went a projected 412 feet per stat cast. Uh, Kyle Finnegan cannot be trusted. Basically, no one in this Nats bullpen can be trusted, with the exception of Hunter Harvey. And even he has had some problems here lately. But Harvey on Wednesday was terrific. A six-out save. Uh, Harvey in the bottom of the eighth faced four batters, got three outs, including back-to-back swinging strikeouts of the Dodgers numbers, three and four batters, Will Smith and J.D. Martinez, and then Harvey tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth. Uh, No game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them, a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 4.05, Mackenzie Gore, will be the NAT starting pitcher, and Game 3 Sunday afternoon at 135, Trevor Williams will be the NAT starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles now have lost consecutive series for the first time this season. Uh, The O's this past weekend lost two or three games against the American League West leading Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And the O's this week have lost two or three games to the Cleveland Guardians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Wednesday, a 12-8 loss to the Guardians. Uh, The Rangers are a good team. The Guardians are not. Uh, the O's now are 35-21. and 21. That is the third best record in both the American League and the Majors, but it is a bit odd to see the O's now in the midst of having lost two consecutive series. We have been spoiled in that way. Uh, this was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Wednesday evening. Yeah, I think we played really well this month and these last two series weren't our best. Those are going to happen.
2: We're not going to win every series the rest of the year and and uh, we're going to have tough games. We're going to have tough games on the mound. We're going to have tough, tough teams at the plate. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part this month, I thought I was really happy with how we played and hopefully we can
1: start off the month of June on the right note. Hopefully. Uh, the Oz on Wednesday went with a bullpen game. Uh, this game came up in what had been Grayson Rodriguez's spot in the Orioles rotation, but the O's past Saturday morning announced that they had optioned Grayrod to AAA Norfolk off him, having been struggling big time. And so the Oz on Wednesday opted for the bullpen approach. Uh, that can work. Uh, it did not work in this game on Wednesday. Seven Orioles relievers pitched in this game, the first five of those relievers, Keegan Aiken, Austin Voth, CNL Perez, Michael Givens, and Mike Bauman, combined to allow 12 runs in six and a third innings on a whopping 16 hits and five walks. The Guardians are not some great offensive team. And yet, the first seven innings of this game were like batting practice for the Guardians against Orioles pitching. The Guardians scored two runs in the top of the third, three runs in the top of the fourth, and five runs in the top of the fifth. The O's in this game at one point actually had a 4-1 second inning lead, and the O's in this game scored eight runs over the second, third, fourth, and fifth innings. But when your pitching staff gets worked like this, uh, your hitting has to be near-perfect, In order to win. But, you know, the O's in this game totaled the eight runs, also totaled 12 hits and four walks, went three for nine with runners in scoring position. Uh, Five of the Orioles' 12 hits were extra base hits, a homer, and four doubles. Uh, Adley Rutschman as the Orioles' starting catcher and number two batter, four for five with an RBI infield single and three other singles. What an on-base machine Rutschman has been. He, for this regular season now, has an on-base percentage of 4'11". That is outstanding. Uh, Anthony Santander, he had another home run. Uh, He is the Orioles' starting DH and number three batter, went one for five. But the one was a two-run homer, uh, Santander, and an Orioles two-run fourth, a two-out, two-run opposite field home run to left center field. To give the O's a 7-6 lead, uh, the homer winner projected 423 feet per stat cast. So Santander, for the month of May, ended up having... The following slash line a batting average of 337 and on base percentage of 422, a slugging percentage of 634. Tremendous May for Anthony Santander. Also, Aaron Hicks made his Orioles debut. Uh, he was the Orioles starting center fielder and number six batter. He went two for two with two singles and a walk, but he left the game uh, due to calf cramping. Uh, Remember, Hicks is on the O's because the Orioles' usual starting center fielder, Cedric Mullins, is hurt. And now Hicks, in his Orioles' debut, left the game due to calf cramping. Uh, The O's this past Tuesday afternoon signed Hicks as a free agent to a major league contract as the corresponding roster moved to putting Cedric Mullins on the 10-day injured list with the right groin strain. Uh, no game for the O's on Thursday. Next up for them is a three-game series at the San Francisco Giants. Game one, Friday night at 10.15. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 10.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 4.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 586, will provide you with more on the commanders. Also, I will talk capitals as we on Thursday morning at 11 have the introductory press conference for the camp's new head coach, Spencer Carberry. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
0: Hooah!